Well, thank you, Danny, uh, for reading. Friends, keep your Bibles open, I think is what I need to say to you this morning. It's great to be here. Uh, welcome. Glad to be with you this morning as we particularly wrestle through um, this, uh, this part of the Bible, but also our series on good sex. Uh, a couple of things I want to quickly say beforehand. Uh, I think it's also worth just saying once more. Parents, just be aware. Uh, if you've got kids around, maybe there's stuff that you don't want them to hear. It'd be great for you to have them distracted in appropriate ways. Um, and also, the other thing I want to, want to say, if you're not receiving the daily Bible readings, uh, it would be really helpful. Um, the series of daily Bible readings this week, I think, you know, if you really want to get a handle on what we're talking about this morning, uh, that was a great way of understanding where we're going this morning and the things that are really important. So grab the daily Bible readings, sign up to them. You can do that on the Connect card. Get in touch with the office. We can put you on if you're not getting them and you'd like to. That would be great. Let's pray, though, as uh, we do this together, that God would help us hear him speak to us in his word this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, that it is good, that you are good, and that as we come to this particular topic, Lord God, we should do so, not fearful, but trusting in you, our good God, who loves us and is for us. And so help us to hear you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, marriage as designed by our good and generous God is a wonderful gift. Uh, we saw that understanding very clearly expressed last week in Genesis 1 and 2, and we saw that Jesus affirmed exactly the same thing in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10. God is absolutely pro-sex, and he is pro-marriage, and he is 100% pro-sex in marriage. That is, God made marriage and sex so that we would have a picture of the wonderful and intimate bond between Christ and the church. The Bible has a wonderfully positive picture of sex and marriage. In fact, when uh, the world speaks of safe sex, this is the only place where safe sex is truly possible. Uh, within the context, that is, of a publicly committed, exclusive and permanent secure relationship between one man and one woman in a lifelong bond of heterosexual marriage but we're no longer in the Garden of Eden. What God created as good, well, things are no longer what they were meant to be. In the course of my lifetime, we've experienced a, a massive revolution in society's views and attitudes to sex. And yet throughout history, humanity has always had wrong attitudes to sex, from you know, forbidding it altogether to exploiting it. Western society, as it stands now, has been affected by the Enlightenment in the 1880s, and with the sexual revolution of the 1950s and 60s being one of its key outcomes. Now, one of, its, one of the primary ideas of the Enlightenment was that humanity has no need of a transcendent being such as God to determine who we are or how we should live or what constitutes right or wrong. Now, that sentiment was made popular by Friedrich Nietzsche when he pronounced God as dead, in 1883. If there's no God, there's no objective universal truth. And if there's no God and no objective meaning to my life or morality that I should organise my life around, then all I'm left with is me. I'm the one who determines my life, my identity, my morality. I'm the one who can choose who I am and how I want to live. 
It's this kind of self-serving individualism that is the sea in which we all now swim. Uh, Steve Jobs uh, deeply understood our contemporary culture when he came up with all of his eye products. Uh, all he did really though was reinforce what we already believe to be true, that is that I am at the centre of my world. Uh, in Dale Kuhn's book, Sex and the Eye World, he says this eye world is the world in which we now live. Can I say it's the same for most advertisers who are simply trying to appeal to the heart's desires of our culture? Uh, give, here's some recent examples for you. You can see them there on the screen. You know, PlayStation, be whatever you want to be. Uh, or Burger King, have it your way. Or L'Oreal, because you're worth it. And the I world tells me that no one is able to challenge my individualism. I'm free to be whoever, whoever and do whatever I want. You know, Vaughan Roberts, a church pastor in Oxford in England, puts the way our world thinks, he puts it like this. He says, I'm free to define my identity and myself as I wish, by my sexuality, for example. And I'm free to determine my own gender or even to change my gender. I and I alone can decide exactly how I will live sexually and in every area of life. So ingrained in our cultural mindset is this thinking now that it's immoral to question it, let alone oppose it. But even more than that, there are some places now where we are being forced to affirm it. I was speaking with uh, one of our own members this week whose management insists that in all their correspondence they use gender-neutral pronouns. To refer to yourself as a he or a she or a him or a her has become an offence. This is the world in which we now live, in which our children are immersed. The culture of expressive individualism is the moral landscape of our times. And people take it for granted uh, and it actually shapes the way they live. And once we realise this, we begin to understand why the topic of sex is such an emotive issue. I mean, especially if we want to suggest that there's an objective moral way we should behave in this area. It's actually an offensive assault on our, cultures, on our culture and the freedoms that we wish to exercise without interference. However, can I say, we'd be naive to think that the world's view has no effect on us as Christians. Uh, we've been absorbing the sexual attitudes and values of our society since childhood. We're not immune to their powerful effects. It's there in the magazines we read, the shows we stream or the movies we watch. It's in the books we give to our primary school kids and in the classrooms of our teenagers. It's in our advertising, our blogs. It's on social media of every form. And yet for something that claims to offer personal fulfilment and happiness, the reality is that it's a complete and utter failure. Our world's approach to sex has unleashed far-reaching damage in people's lives. Adultery is considered the normal fact of life, but it tears relationships apart. Divorce is widespread and frequent. The damage isn't just to individuals, the collapse of the family unit is disastrous. Parents trying to bring up children alone, the wider costs to extended families, the effects on children, Surgery, perhaps performed on gender-confused young people, that is irreversible and psychologically destructive. 
abortions on demand for unwanted pregnancies that continue to haunt young women, and sexual violence because young men have learned their view of sex through porn. In fact, pornography is sex as far removed from God's good intentions as it could be. There's absolutely no commitment involved. There's nothing mutual in it. The individual is in complete control to choose, choose who and what and when. The other person or persons just become a thing, an object of self-gratification. On top of that, we're confronted with the horrific toll of sexual abuse almost daily. I'm sorry to even talk about it. But can I say, we cannot simply sweep it under the carpet. All that our world's view of sex has delivered is insecurity and isolation, not freedom and fulfilment. There's so much sex around us by precious little love. Sex is good, but it's so often used in a way that hurts people, that causes pain and grief. See, how does something that is good do such damage? Now, if you've been uh, doing the Generosity Project this week in your growth group, you will have heard of the inward curve of the heart. Our sinful hearts by nature turn against God and his goodness. We at times find ourselves believing the world's lies, that God is not truly good, that this world can satisfy what we long for. Do not be deceived. We saw last week that God's design for sex was perfect for all people in every age. But of course, as we've just seen, that's not the way it is now. Our society has moved a long way from God's good design. The question is, how did we get here? And the sad truth is that really it didn't take that long. Uh, the short answer, of course, is the fall. Uh, the moment when humanity decided to rebel against their creator in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, let's just pick it up in Genesis chapter 2 from verse 15 there, if you've got it. So verse 15, Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying... You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. All of humanity, humanity owes its existence to the God who created us. He's given us our glorious identity as male and female together to bear his image. He placed us as rulers in his paradise of Eden. And he lovingly warned Adam to obey his word by not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which would bring corruption and death into God's good world. But notice as we read on in Genesis 3 that Satan tempts Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve to doubt God's, God's word and his goodness. So Genesis 3 verse 2, we see Satan saying, did God actually say? That is, he cast doubt on God's goodness. Or in verse 4, he says to them, you will not surely die. In other words, calling God a liar. And then in verse 5, in fact, he says, God knows that your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. In other words, God is keeping something good from you. And they listen to Satan's voice instead of the voice of God and everything unravels. We need to be careful who we listen to, don't we? Are we going to, going to listen to the word of flawed humans 
who promise love and freedom but fail to deliver? Or will we listen to the Word of God who made us, who made marriage and sex and who knows what is for our good? See, Satan promised them freedom by disobeying God's commands. But what they got was enslavement to sin, a corruption of their natures, and ultimately death. Had they listened to the word of God and not Satan, they would have found true freedom, freedom to be who they were created to be. You see, true freedom is not living without restrictions. And true freedom is to live in light of who we are, creatures made by a loving God, living in joyful obedience to him. As a couple of uh, old illustrations demonstrate, you know, a train, for example, is created to run on tracks. It works perfectly well while it's on those tracks. But on one of its country journeys, the train goes past a beautiful open field, and this particularly special train, uh, it thinks, oh, you know, I'm sick of being constrained by these tracks. I want to feel the freedom of the grass and choose to go wherever I want to go. And so he jumps off the rails and out onto the freedom of the field. And, well, you know what happens next. A train has been created to operate in a particular way. On the tracks is where it's most effective and most free to be what it's meant to be. What looks like freedom, the field, is actually bondage. Or what about the goldfish that is uh, kind of tired of the constraints of its fishbowl, and so he decides to break out of his constraints and leaps out to the freedom of the living room carpet. Can I say the same is true for you and me today? Denying who we are and who God has created us to be is not freedom. We find true freedom by embracing and obeying God's good word to us, by trusting that our good creator knows best and by refusing to believe the lies that claim to know better. And Genesis 3 makes it clear that sex has been corrupted by human sin. In chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 and 10, men and women are now ashamed and aware of their nakedness. In verse 16, the relationship between men and women has been damaged. What has happened with sin is that our natures have been corrupted. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Now this passage in Romans chapter 1 reminds me of a conversation that I had uh, with our doctor when he was referring my wife and I to an IVF specialist. We were having difficulty falling pregnant and he referred us to a very highly regarded specialist, but he did it with a warning. He said, you might not always like what you hear, but this guy knows his stuff. He will tell you how it is without sugarcoating it. But he said... That way you will know the truth of what you're dealing with and that's exactly what you need to hear if you want the right treatment. Well, this passage in Romans 1 is exactly like that. It might be hard to hear, but the truth of the human condition is exactly what we need to hear. If we don't get the right diagnosis, we won't receive the right treatment. Now, Romans 1 tells us that humanity in general have suppressed the truth about God. You'll see it there in verse 18. And in fact, uh, we have, as humans, exchanged the truth of God for a lie by worshipping things God has created instead of the Creator. Verse 25. 
And God's response to our foolish rebellion is to actually let us have it our way. It's God's measured judgment on us to let our foolishness take its course. So here's a few examples. Verse 24, three times God, we're told that God gave them up. See verse 24? Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonourable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. And then finally in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. It's hard to hear that our very natures are corrupted by sin, including our sexual natures. In verse 24, we have been given up to impurity. It's actually speaking about our disordered sexual desires. And it's important, I think, to realise that our warped sexual desires don't just leave us when we become Christians. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, uh, the apostle warns Christians to abstain from passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. See, disordered sexual desires are still present after conversion. We're called to abstain from them, flee from them. Now, I'm going to hear more about that next week, but it's important to realise that when it comes to sex and sexual desire, none of us are straight. This passage speaks about same-sex passions and practices. They are one form of dishonourable passions and our disordered sexual desire. But please notice that they're not singled out from other kinds of sexual impurity. I mean, same gender sexual practice is dealt with particularly in verses 26 and 27, but it's not the only type of sexual disorder. It's simply one expression of the lusts of the heart. All of us, in our own different ways, have sinful sexual desires. And we've all sinned sexually, whether in thought or deed. In this fallen world, all of us have disordered sexual desires that don't conform by nature to God's good ways. And according to God, the only safe and good place for sexual expression is in the covenant of, mar covenant of marriage between one man and one woman for life. Every other expression of sex is unsafe. Now, I'm fully aware that this view is not only radical and very different to our world's culture. In fact, it's not just considered out of touch. The Bible's view is now considered dangerous to people. To ask people to refrain from expressing their sexuality however their desires lead them is damaging to their psychological well-being, we're told. It's why many people want to silence Christians from speaking out about these things. But again, the truth is that this is God's good way for our flourishing. And it's good because it's actually the consequences of sexual sin that are so damaging, as we've already seen. When we look out at our world and see the prevalence of sexual immorality in all of its forms, what we're seeing is actually an indication that we are under God's condemnation for our rebellion against him. It can be hard to hear that we are sinners who deserve God's judgment. 
gospel, the message of the Bible, is much more than that. It's a declaration of love. It's a message of God's salvation and forgiveness through Jesus. And we've been created in love, but we turn our backs on God's love. We don't listen to him or trust him. And we live in a world that is rife with the consequences of human sin and rebellion. And yet in his amazing grace, God still loves us. It's why he sent his son, Jesus, to suffer and die in our place for our sins so that he could bring us back into a restored relationship with God. That's what the gospel of salvation is. It's why the Apostle Paul is full of joy and unashamed of the gospel in Romans 1, 16 and 17, the first part of what we read out there this, this morning. See what he says in verse 16? He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, the thrilling truth of the gospel is that those who put their trust in Jesus have received his righteousness, his perfection. God is not only powerful to create us, he's just as powerful to save us from our sin and our rebellion against him. There's nothing like our misuse of sex to make us feel dirty, to feel ashamed. You know, many of us perhaps will feel deeply weighed down and guilty by our past history of sexual sin. We may feel the burden of an ongoing battle with sexual sin. But here's the incredible and glorious news of the gospel. We don't need to feel guilt or live with shame because our guilt and shame have been taken away when we put our trust in Jesus. Through Jesus, we receive the righteousness of God as a gift. In God's eyes, we are perfect because the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been given to us. Our lives can be transformed by the power of God's word to us. God's words, notice, are words of grace, generosity, the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what transforms our lives. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to rescue us. That is, to rescue everyone who believes in Jesus. There's no rescue, no salvation, no forgiveness, no freedom from guilt or shame, no genuine love, except that which is offered to each one of us through Jesus. In the I world in which we live promises freedom, but delivers slavery. It promises sexual fulfilment but delivers relational isolation, pain. But what is the outcome for those who come to Jesus and admit their sin and their failings? What is the outcome? Well, Paul tells us just a little bit further on in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That is the grace of God. That is our joy. That is our hope. Well, friends, we're going to pray together now. Let's do that.